Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode two of Twinning at IPC podcast. This is our first official episode with myself, Tanya, and my partner in crime, Joe. Today, we have the absolute privilege of talking to Dr. Matthew Dryden about global antibiotic resistance, the threat. You may hear us refer to antibiotic resistance throughout this podcast as AMR. So in case you haven't heard of Matthew, he has been a consultant in infection and microbiology at Hampshire Hospitals Trust in Winchester since 1991 and at the Rare and Imported Pathogens Department, Public Health England. He is also an honorary senior lecturer at Southampton University Medical School and a professor in the Department of Internal Medicine at St. George's University School of Medicine in Grenada, West Indies. He is also a consultant um, to the Falkland Islands and St. Helena Government's Health Services. He's recently been in Sierra Leone with the Ebola outbreak and Brazil for Zika. He is the Lyme lead for Public Health England, and he has been involved in the development of several antibiotics over the years. So I think it's fair to say he has an amazing background and we can't wait to talk to him today. Hi, Matthew. Um, thank you very much for joining us today. So we've, Hi, Tanya um, Joe. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. And I think this is a fantastic initiative. So well done on getting it set up. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's something that we have been planning for such a long time, um, pre-COVID, and then now is the opportunity for us to just really get the ball rolling and get the information out there. So I think the topic we're going to be discussing with you today is something that I'm really passionate about. It's um, one of the key things for me when I'm talking about infection control and teaching. So thank you for allowing us to delve into it a bit deeply with you today. So I think probably the best place to start is what is antimicrobial resistance and why is it such a threat? Great. Yeah. Well, we hear a lot in the press, don't we, about uh, global antibiotic resistance, and it is a massive threat to mankind for the future. Um, now, what is resistance? Well, you know, in very simple terms, it means that the, the bacteria uh, are not susceptible to the antibiotic you're using. And usually that occurs because the bacteria develop a resistance mechanism, uh, and they develop that by Darwinian natural selection. This is evolution. You can watch in the lab. It's just an absolutely amazing thing to see. But just first to come back to antibiotics, because I think they're such an important group of drugs. I think none of us practicing medicine now, in fact, probably virtually none of us living now can remember a time before antibiotics. And I think it's probably true to say that antibiotics have saved more lives than any other type of drug um, that's available to us in medicine. And Again, if you think about it, antibiotics are different from all the other drugs we use because their actions targeted specifically against bacteria, uh, the invaders, you know, the invaders causing the infection, whereas most drugs that we use are targeted against our own, our human physiology. So they, they really are, are really are very different. And if we think, you know, the antibiotics have been around for sort of 70 years or so since the 1940s. Penicillin was the very first one. Um, and if we think about um, what what antibiotics have achieved in that relatively short time, um, they've achieved a major, major reduction in mortality and in morbidity in some diseases as well. If you imagine in the pre-antibiotic era, um, you had endocarditis, infection on your heart valve, the mortality of that was 100%. If, if you were diagnosed with endocarditis, you knew you had a few months to live, so you can kind of set your life, you know, your affairs in order, and then you would die of, of, of massive valvular failure. In the antibiotic era, I mean, there's still obviously an appreciable mortality with endocarditis because it's a nasty infection, but the mortality has come down to around about 20%. 
So very, very, uh, very great reduction in mortality. Even minor skin infections in the pre-antibiotic era had a mortality of about 11%. Whereas now it's you know well under one percent, so antibiotics have, have achieved um, a massive change in our um, in the way we live and our and our health and so on. Yeah, I think just hearing those numbers there is it really does show the impact of how important antibiotics are um, for yes. for medicine of today, and and if we if we were to lose them, just the huge impact that that would have on us. Yeah. They're very precious because I know in the UK we have really strict antibiotic guidance um, yes. and we're continually trying to prevent antibiotic resistance, but other countries aren't the same. So how, how can we get on? How do we get them on board so that we can tackle it globally or? Yes, thanks, Joe. That's, that's a really important point. Um, uh, I, just coming on to the scale of the problem uh, first, perhaps, um, if, if uh, there's some really good reports out now, and, and, the, and the UK government commissioned the O'Neill report, which is you know worth a bit of a bedtime read for those of you who, who like weighty documents. But I mean, some of the statistics from that are really kind of shocking that, um, for example, and I'll just mention a few of these, I know statistics are a bit boring, but you know, there, there's, there's something like 120 countries report extensive multi-drug resistant TB. So most countries, in other words, um, there, there are something like 700,000 uh, people who are estimated to die each year from drug resistant infections. So again, resistance is having a huge impact on, on, on health. And that's going to you know, get worse in time. Um, up to 2 billion people, mainly in low and middle income countries, uh, lack access to antimicrobials, but often have sub-quality antimicrobials. So it's not a question of the doctor prescribing the wrong antibiotic. They're going into the marketplace, buying a bag of pills that may be made in a factory in Southeast Asia, uh, and you've no idea of the consistency of the antibiotic in that or the uh, you know, exact potency. And all that um, contributes to, uh, to resistance. So you know, there's some, some, some real issues here. But even in, in developed countries, I mean, if you look at Europe, uh, where, where you know, pretty much our, our state of, of health and the quality of medicine is, is pretty much the same across, um, uh, across Europe, there is a huge difference in the volume of antibiotic used between countries. So what, one of the most recent um, uh, reports I heard on that was that some countries in south, southeastern Europe, uh, Greece, I'm afraid, came top, used three times the volume of antibiotics compared to other countries at the other end of the scale, um, places like the Netherlands and Latvia. The UK is somewhere, somewhere in the middle. But there's no medical reason for that. Uh, everybody's health is pretty much the same. It's not that Greece has three times the amount of bacterial infections. Uh, they probably have pretty much the same infection as in the UK. And yet this huge volume is, is used. And guess where the worst resistance problem is in Europe? It's Southeast Europe. So Greece, uh, those countries surrounding it, Italy, they have the highest rates of gram-negative resistance, the highest rates of, of MRSA. So it looks as though, and in fact, there's some good studies that in fact prove this, that the volume of antibiotic used is directly proportional to uh, the level of resistance in a country. It's quite scary. <clears throat> sure is, isn't it? Um, but, but just to mention one or two other things as well, because we, we've mentioned lower and middle income countries where there's, there's kind of dodgy drugs available over the counter. We've mentioned the, you know, the differential in the volume of antibiotic used in countries. Um, in some countries, the environment is an issue. And I'll give 
India here is one example. There are, there are factories with relatively poor governance making drugs, some of which make antibiotics. Those drugs often leach out in, in waste systems into, into, into the water systems, into the river systems. Uh, and downstream from that, there's untreated sewage. So you've got human bacteria mixing up with low levels of, uh, an, of antibiotics and indeed other drugs in the water. So there's a selection pressure on the bacteria to become resistant outside the human body, just in the river. Downstream from that, people are drinking it untreated and so colonizing themselves with multi-resistant bacteria which you know in themselves in itself doesn't cause a massive problem straight away but if they go into hospital or they have other treatment then the only bug that survives is, is the multi-resistant one so there's that and then um, there's animal husbandry as well agriculture and, and that's been controlled uh, the antibiotic use in in um, in livestock rearing has been controlled to some extent but that's also an area where where there is selection pressure for resistance as well because I think I was going to ask you about the animals and whether or not that gets monitored as closely as it does with humans with the prescribing of antibiotics and things. Yeah, sorry, I've jumped to jump the gun a bit, perhaps, with that, but but uh, I think it was important to bring it up to just just to point out that it's not just in human medicine that um, there's there's poor antibiotic use. You're absolutely right that it's uh, you know that there's uh, in places uh, uncontrolled antimicrobial use in in agriculture and livestock rearing now. To uh, again, some countries have been good at controlling that, but that's not the case in uh, uh, everywhere in the world. Thank you. I find it really interesting, and especially that it can be so varied in different areas. Yes, absolutely. Um, uh, you know, when I was uh, uh, when I was um, out in Sierra Leone during the Ebola outbreak, towards the end of the outbreak, uh, I thought it'd be interesting just to collect some samples from patients. Uh, to bring back and analyze in the UK, not for Ebola, but for antibiotic resistance. Uh, whereas there's a very undeveloped health system there, you know, not many people get into hospital, but they do have access to all these drugs in markets, um, so they can buy stuff over the counter. Um, and our Ebola patients often had um, broad spectrum cephalosporins as well, the, 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 the rationale being that that was to protect them against um, uh, secondary bacterial infection. But um, in all the samples I brought back, they were slightly undifferentiated samples but wound swabs uh, sort of respiratory tract samples urine urine samples uh, we found quite a range of antimicrobial resistance just by you know a simple surveillance program like that so everywhere in the world there is uh, there is resistance for sure from the resistance thing there Matthew it's quite interesting to know that we rely a lot on antibiotics um, in medicine nowadays and and one of the things that I was going to ask you is are there any new antibiotics being developed to help us in the fight against antimicrobial resistance or where are we at with pushing forward with with our fight against it yes that's that's a very important question and, and the simple answer to that is no there are very few new antibiotics available to us uh, and in fact there have not been any entirely new classes of antibiotics for over a decade or more um, the, the new antibiotics that are being marketed at the moment are sons or cousins of existing antibiotics, if you like. They're often um, beta-lactam type antibiotics, so penicillin or cephalosporin type antibiotics with a, with a novel beta-lactamase inhibitor um, to get round a resistance mechanism. Uh, and they're designed really specifically to get round um, very specific gram-negative uh, resistance mechanisms and 
the problem with that is you have to know what resistance mechanism you're dealing with. So these drugs are not going to work equally with all infections, uh, and it's going to require much better diagnostics to work out where they're going to be useful. But there are no new, entirely new classes. So does that mean we've used up all, all the classes of antibiotics that, that can ever be invented? I mean, I'd like to think not, but that that's that is something we've got to keep in mind, really. Um, it's, um, you know, I think there are there are several possible answers to the global threat of antibiotic resistance. Um, I think one of the key ones is antibiotic stewardship, uh, but we have to try and achieve that worldwide, um, which is certainly not happening at the moment. Uh, and I guess an analogy to that is, is um, you know, is, is looking at our carbon footprint. Different countries are, are better at managing or becoming better at managing their, their carbon footprint than others. And it's really when we're dealing with, with antibiotic resistance, we're dealing with a similar problem of ecology. You know, we have to, we, we have to live in equilibrium with our germs somehow and, and not over um, manage them with antibiotics because that's just going to result in resistance. So good stewardship um, has to be a good thing in my view, because it, it, you know if, if you review your antibiotics regularly, stop them when they're not needed, escalate them if the patient's getting worse or de-escalate if the patient's getting better, then you reduce the selection pressure on the germs themselves uh, and therefore hopefully result in, in less infection. So that's that's one thing is is better stewardship. Um, I guess that the next really important thing is good infection control. Uh, infection control is absolutely essential in preventing the transmission of resistant germs from uh, patient to patient, and it's the sort of thing that you know you guys are so are so good at. And we've seen that, I suppose, in the UK um, with the control of MRSA. I think you know I think we put most of that down to uh, excellent surveillance and excellent infection prevention. Um, if we have good infection control, then there is less need to use antibiotics and less need to use, you know, newer broad spectrum antibiotics. So again, that creates less selection pressure on the bacteria. Uh, a few years ago, I went in, I was at a meeting in um, in Saudi Arabia and, and they took me around the hospital and I went into uh, to the ITU and they said, oh, you know, marvellous to see you. Thanks very much for coming around because we've got a real, real micro infection problem. Um, so I said, oh, oh you know, what, what's going on? He said, well, uh, you know, he said virtually every patient on, on our ITU has a multi-resistant Acinetobacter. Um, you know, what, what do we do about it? Are there new antibiotics we can use? What, what, what would you suggest? So I thought about it for a bit and I said, well, Blimey, you know, the, the only real way of sorting this out is to stop using antibiotics. Uh, and they looked at me as if I was completely balmy. And I said, in addition to that, you've got to have really good infection prevention and control because you've got to stop the you've got to stop the selection of the acetobacter, and you've got to stop the transmission from, from patient to patient. If you stop antibiotics for, for a month or so, they said, but patients will die. I said, well, they're dying anyway of, of multi-drug resistant acetobacter. And they said, oh yes, I suppose so. Um, but you know, you've really got to take drastic action to try and control some of these issues. So infection control is the second thing that's really important. I, I think um, the third thing that's really important in uh, as an answer to antibiotic resistance is, um, is diagnostics. Uh, and it seems to me that there's a kind of revolution going on in diagnostics at the moment, which I think is really exciting. Uh, and we've seen that around COVID in that, um, you know, very, very quickly, um, many hospitals have developed really effective molecular diagnosis for for COVID uh, and actually there's, there's lots of really 
clever systems now for diagnosing resistance mechanisms and picking up germs quicker than regular culture. So I think we need to look at all of those to, to help with diagnostics and also biomarkers we use we use a lot. So you know we're familiar with C-reactive protein as a measure of inflammation, but there are quite a few new biomarkers that are being looked at. Um, uh, procalcitonin is one we use here in our trust, isn't it? And uh, uh, you know that there are other molecules that are of interest as well. But we, when we did a study a few years ago on ITU and um, McGill, our uh, emergency ward, um, we found that um, if we use procalcitonin as a marker of bacterial infection. Uh, we were happy to withhold antibiotics in many patients who would otherwise have received them. And we feel that made a real difference in our uh, antibiotic stewardship. So that's just an example of how, you, how these diagnostics may help in reducing antibiotic use and selection pressure. Uh, and I think, I guess the fourth thing in, in controlling re global resistance is, as we've already discussed, uh, trying to reinvigorate antibiotic discovery, but there's not much coming along in the pipeline at the moment. I think that that's a key a key a phrase actually isn't it that's used quite often for antimicrobial resistance is is the pipeline and and where we're at with that and it's interesting what you mentioned there about MRSA because I think for the for a lot of people MRSA um, is still known as the superbug but actually from an infection control point of view and from a hospital point of view it's something that we know a lot about and we're and we're very good at screening for it and 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 obviously treating it but there are organisms of concern and, and more drug resistant organisms that are more of a threat at the moment particularly in hospital I'm just thinking of CPE um, and any multi-drug resistant organisms so well, if we were to have a patient I'm just throwing in a question here if we were to have mm. a patient with a CPE or a CRE is there anything fancy we could do with mixing antibiotics together and to try and help with treating those um, infections if they are multi-drug resistant? Uh, there, there, there are, um, uh, uh, but it's one almost has to tailor-make the antibiotic treatment for, for the germ when that happens now, because there are different mechanisms of, of um, carbapenemase production, uh, and different agents work in different ways on those different mechanisms. So some of the newer antibiotics that we mentioned, some of these um, sons and cousins of existing antibiotics, are effective against some of the CPE producers, but the, there's a specific group, the, um, the NDMs, the metallobetalactamases, in which you know some of these are almost pan resistant and there's there's virtually nothing that we can we can do and so i think we need we we also need to think a bit laterally about other forms of treatment and i just uh, again throw in one example here we've we ha we had a patient um, on itu just in the last month with a multi resistant pseudomonas in his respiratory tract now he was a covid patient long term ventilated patient so he effectively had a um, uh, had a, a ventilator associated pneumonia uh, and he was really pretty close to death to be quite honest i mean he was really you know deteriorating and there were there were limited treatment options we did find an antibiotic combination to treat him with but we also thought laterally and really against all the odds decided to use an entirely novel treatment and a nebulized form of reactive oxygen which he inhaled through his ventilator and i know it's only one patient but he seemed to turn the corner from that moment and he got steadily better and has now been extubated and done very well so reactive oxygen is a non-antibiotic but antimicrobial treatment that you that currently you can use topically in soft tissue uh, and in some other parts of the body if you can gain access. But I think it's going to require that sort of lateral thinking to manage some of these infections. Yeah, kind of thinking outside of the box, really, with with an individual case by case. Um, yeah. 
So with regards to, to the general public, what kind of things can they be doing to help protect themselves and their loved ones from antimicrobial resistance? We've spoken about stewardship, but is there things that everyone can do to help us with the fight? Yeah, uh, I mean, I think there are a few things. I think the first thing is awareness of the problem. Um, you know, it's a bit like a, awareness of conservation that we have to to you know to reach an equilibrium with our environment, with our you know with our natural surroundings, and indeed with our bacteria as well. So you need to be aware that global antibiotic resistance is a real threat. Is there anything else you can do actively as a as a as a person out there in the community? Not not a great deal to be quite honest. But I think I think if you're aware that antibiotics only work against serious bacterial infection, and it's important not to ask for antibiotics for you know viral coughs and colds and and, and other illnesses that are not, not going to respond to antibiotics that that's an important thing so to try and reduce demand clearly if you're critically ill with what seems to be a bacterial infection you need antibiotics because those that's when it's life-saving but not when it's it's a, it's a minor illness that's going to get better uh, on its own um, so that's important um, and and you know to explain that to the rest of your family and friends so that they understand that as well uh, I think, you know, some people in certain countries, we've mentioned the people drinking the contaminated river water in India. I mean, haven't, you know, have not got a chance really because they, 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 they're, they're swallowing these multi-resistant bacteria without even having been exposed to any antibiotics. So I think that's really tough, but we just have to try and spread the message, increase education and, uh, and try and improve our, uh, our environmental status on that. Thank you so much, Matthew, for joining us today. I have definitely absolutely learned a lot from your talk. Um, so yeah, thank you. We've really enjoyed well, thank having you. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, thank Brilliant. you, Matthew. It's, it's been a, yeah, trying to get it into something condensed, but I think it's probably something that we'll have to have you back on maybe in a, in a future episode and, and talk more because I think we could talk to you <laughs> for hours. Um, I think just to, to wrap up for where we're at, um, just something completely away from antimicrobial resistance, um, is there really like the top three moments of your career so far it's and it's an amazing career and you've got a wealth of knowledge but can you pick just three top moments oh that's a that's a tricky question um uh, I, I guess the first one um might might, might be just the, the fact that I came into this specialty at all. And, I, and I'm really glad that I did because it's been such a, a, a fascinating career. Uh, and I did that because I was, I was working as a, as a junior doctor in Southern Sudan in the early eighties. And um, I, I got involved in a local leprosy hospital and also a WHO project on river blindness in Southern Sudan. Uh, and that convinced me that this was the specialty I wanted to do, having sort of moved rather aimlessly um, between different specialties and jobs before that. Uh, and, and I think it's been so good for me because it's been such a, a fascinating career. There's such, I've seen such a wide range of, of patients and worked with such wonderful teams in, in, in the hospitals and, and in the community. And it's been a wonderful combination of, of um, patience and science, I think. So that, 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 so that was, I guess, the first thing, just that, you know, coming to the specialty at all. Um, what else? Well, I, I guess it, anyone in medicine uh, feels a real sense of achievement when you have saved a life. Um, so I think that's another magical moment for me. Um, I hope I've saved a few lives in the course of, of, of my career. But um, uh, one particularly comes to mind, and he was... He was actually, I'm not sure I really did save his life, but he was, he was a chap who had to, who'd been given a terminal diagnosis uh, and um, we were able to give him an antibiotic and cure him. And this poor chap had been preparing his funeral 
uh, and he did really well afterwards. And yeah, he had Lyme disease. He was a young man and he had a lesion in his spinal cord. And the radiological and neurosurgical opinion was that this might be a, an inoperable tumour. Uh, and we investigated him and it turned out that he had Lyme myelitis, inflammation of the spinal cord. And he, he got better almost overnight once he started antibiotics. It was just an amazing transformation. So from a chap who started planning his own funeral to being up and about and enjoying life again was just a wonderful thing to see. Um, and I guess the third thing might be some of the things we discussed, you know, that I, in the course of my career, I have been involved in developing a few new antibiotics and indeed the last class of antibiotics that, that came out. Um, we've done clinical trials here and in other hospitals on things like linezolid, ciprofloxacin, um, piperacillin, tazobactam. So all of those three antibiotics I've been involved in registration trials for and it's been exciting to see those develop and become uh, widely used clinically. So I think those are probably the three things. That's amazing. <laughs> three, Those amazing. Are three amazing things. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> it, it, it's really lovely as well, Matthew, to see that you still have so much passion for your career and, and sharing your knowledge. So again, I think we're really, really privileged to have you on the podcast. So thank you so much for your time um, and for speaking with us today. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's been a real pleasure. So as you mentioned, Tan, we could have easily spoken to Matthew about antibiotic resistance for so much longer. I think the part I found most interesting was the variations in the antibiotic usage in Europe and the direct correlation that has with the resistance patterns. Um, and while we're not the worst country, we still have some room for improvement within the UK. So we will need to work on the areas that Matthew was discussing on how to improve antimicrobial stewardship. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that was definitely a, an eye opener for me as well. So hopefully our listeners find that really interesting. Um, I think probably my favourite part was, was speaking to Matthew is just how passionate he is uh, about his speciality and about the field and really going into detail on the, all the simple things that we can be doing and everyone can be doing to protect the antibiotics and to promote antibiotic stewardship. I think um, Matthew explained that really well. So hoping that everyone who's listened has really enjoyed speaking to Matthew as much as we have. Thank you for listening to our antibiotic resistance episode of Twinning at IPC. Yeah, and if you keep an eye out, our next episode, uh, we will be talking to Dr. Claire Thomas on the importance of ventilation in prevention infection, which is a subject which is getting uh, lots of precedence behind it at the moment. So I'm really excited to delve into that subject with Dr. Claire Thomas. And you can also follow us on, at Twinning at IPC on Instagram and Twitter. Hope you have a lovely week and we'll see you all soon with the next episode available towards the end of May.